When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. Last week, I took an unplanned week off from the podcast, and I apologize for not giving you a heads up about that. It really was not planned, but the tasks in the gardens combined with preserving the harvest by canning and dehydrating and just lots of life things going on just required me to prioritize my time elsewhere, and so that's what I did. I've not been on social media much either, but I think my brain needed a bit of a break. The good news is I'm back and I have a little bit of a renewed enthusiasm to record these episodes, so that's a positive point. And even taking a week off, we managed to add some new listeners. So a warm welcome to our newest gardening friends from Austria, South Africa, and India. Welcome to the Just Grow Something family. So this Garden Talk Tuesday, we're going to to look at another crop that's great in the fall garden, and that's cabbage. Now, this is another one that works well in the cooler shoulder seasons of spring and fall and does exceptionally well in fall weather. Plus, it's another bonus crop that can survive a light frost with no damage if it's covered and can withstand longer periods of cold weather if properly protected. So it can be stored in the field in many climates rather than harvested and brought in for storage right away. The biggest problem people face when growing cabbage, okay, well, it's actually two problems. Number one is the garden pests, and we'll talk a little bit about how to manage those. But the real head scratcher sometimes is that the cabbage just doesn't form a head. So we'll talk a little bit about the importance of nutrients when it comes to cabbage and what to do when it just doesn't head up like it should. So without further ado, let's dig in to growing cabbage. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I want to pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering, and that everyone, whether you've got a five-acre plot in the country, a half-acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment, should just grow something. Now, really quickly, I know I've been talking a lot the past few weeks about the fall garden, and I know some of you just aren't into that right now, and that's totally okay. I get it. Even though I'm telling you to put aside any struggles you've had with your summer garden, to celebrate your wins, and to move on into fall, it's totally okay if you just don't want to. I understand if you're tired of the garden, you're ready to pull the plants, and just be done with all of it. There is no shame at all. Just like me needing to take a week away from this podcast to focus my energy elsewhere, deciding that you're done with your garden for the season can bring you back next spring with a renewed sense of energy and purpose. That doesn't mean these episodes aren't for you. Most, if not all, of these crops, uh, these fall crops, are good spring crops too, so depending on your area. 
So listen along and think about whether or not these are crops you'd like to incorporate into your spring garden. And soon enough, I'll be transitioning over to prepping the garden for winter and then into garden planning for the spring. So hang tight if you're just not planning on being a fall gardener this year. For those of you who are fall gardening, let's move on to growing cabbage. As usual, we'll start with the basics. The scientific name for cabbage is Brassica oleraceae variety capitata. So it's in the family Brassicaceae or the mustard family. And this may sound familiar to you if you listened to episode 12 all about growing broccoli. Broccoli is also Brassica oleraceae, but it is variety Italica. So the word broccoli comes from the Italian plural of broccolo, which means the flowering crest of a cabbage, where for cabbage, the name capitata is derived from the Latin word for having a head. So cabbage and broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts are all descended from the wild cabbage plant. The difference between them botanically is the way they grow and ultimately the parts that we eat. But they're all coal crops or Brassica oleraceae, just different varieties. And this is significant for a number of reasons, mainly their nutrient requirements, the diseases they are plagued by, and the pests that love to munch on them. So cabbage specifically is a leafy green grown for its solid heads that can be green or red or even white. And there are both smooth-leaved and savoyed versions of cabbage. It's a biennial, so if you don't harvest your cabbage the first season for its head, it will produce flowers and eventually set seeds in its second season. The cabbage originated somewhere in Europe where it was domesticated from its wild counterpart sometime before 1000 BC, but it's hard to trace the exact origin because there are so many varieties classified as brassicas. We do know that by the Middle Ages, cabbage had become a very prominent part of European cuisine, first as a non-heading type like kale and then selectively bred to form those heads. And it quickly spread from there in all of its different forms. Now, around the same time, countries in Asia were cultivating their own versions of the wild brassicas that would eventually end up as what we now know as Napa cabbage and bok choy, two of my favorites. So over the centuries, and specifically in the last few decades, cabbage has been selectively bred for larger, firmer heads, frost hardiness, faster growth, and better storage ability. These improvements to the selections make it an even bigger staple in many cultures, specifically in regions with very short seasons or very cool growing climates. So let's talk about the ethnobotanical use of cabbage. Remember, ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. These uses are cited as a historical and anthropological resource. Please never ingest the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. Now, having been domesticated such a long time ago, there aren't any real notations about the uses of the wild version of cabbage. The domesticated version has long been used to remedy any number of ailments from obesity to arthritis, for stomach ulcers, as an antidiuretic, for bronchial ailments, and to cure sore throats and hoarseness. 
Now, studies in modern medicine have found that many of these traditional uses actually have some validity as cabbage can be used as a diuretic and may have anti-inflammatory and antacid properties, as well as being a good source of antioxidants. The leaves and juices had been used in traditional medicines as an emollient for any sort of skin problem, blisters, burns, sunburns, acne, warts, you name it. They simply made a plaster of crushed leaves and olive oil. So think of that the next time you have a pimple. Maybe, (laughs) maybe not. This same plaster was also used to help pain and inflammation of the joints. And even a basic technique of heating up a cabbage leaf and wrapping the affected joint to reduce pain and inflammation. So the next time you come in from a run and your knees are sore, wrap some hot cabbage leaves around them. Although I'm not sure that would smell much better than the Bengay my dad used to use. Now, since we're talking about ethnobotany, let's be clear that we're talking about traditional European cabbage here, Brassica oleraceae. This is not the same as any kind of skunk cabbage, which is a completely different family altogether and used by indigenous peoples of many parts of North America, from the Pacific Northwest all the way to the wetlands on the East Coast. Skunk cabbages are in the oraceae family, which are very different. So let's just make sure that we're clear on that. Now, our brassica cabbage does have some impressive nutritional qualities. At just 89 grams, or approximately one cup, of raw green cabbage has only 22 calories, but boasts 85% of our daily value of vitamin K and 54% of our recommended intake of vitamin C. That's big. It's also a good source of folate, manganese, vitamin B6, calcium, potassium, and magnesium. It also has a good amount of fiber, both the insoluble kind that keep your digestion moving along and the soluble kind that helps build beneficial bacteria in the gut. And cabbage also contains lots of antioxidants. So if cabbage is so good for you, why do so many people have such a hard time with it? Well, number one, that high fiber content can make raw cabbage difficult to digest if you're not used to it. It's generally easier on the stomach if it's consumed cooked, but then some of the nutrients may be lost, so it's a trade-off. The second reason some people experience discomfort after consuming too much cabbage is a complex sugar called raffinose. Raffinose is present in cabbage, Brussels sprouts, and broccoli, but also in asparagus and beans. Our body requires a specific enzyme to break down raffinose in our systems, and that enzyme is only present in our large intestines. So this sugar passes through our stomachs and our small intestine untouched until it makes its way to the large intestine, where it rapidly begins to break down. Now, this process creates excessive gas as a byproduct, and that can lead to bloating and pain and gassiness in some people. So everything in moderation until you know how your body reacts or until it adapts. And I'll admit, I haven't had as much of a problem with this with cabbage as I have with broccoli. Since cabbage stores longer, I tend to eat it in much more moderation, where broccoli has a shorter season where I can eat it fresh, and I have a tendency to overdo it. So there's that for you. 
And cabbage is really very versatile. Not only can you eat it fresh in slaw or cooked in dishes, it can be fermented for all kinds of different treats. It pairs well with apples and is just as comfortable with potatoes as it is pork. And, of course, we can't forget corned beef and cabbage. It may take some doing, but there are so many ways to prepare cabbage, I'm sure you can find at least one way you like, and then that gives you the opportunity to add it to your garden. I'd like to thank my patrons over on Patreon for supporting this and every episode of this podcast. Patrons of this show get access to exclusive content on the Patreon page, bonus hotshot episodes, monthly live Q&A sessions with me, Just Grow Something merchandise, and more. But above all, they get my undying gratitude for helping make this podcast possible and helping me reach for bigger goals like stipends for guests, improved software and equipment, bonus content, and more. If you'd like to support the show by becoming a patron and also receive my undying gratitude, head over to patreon.com slash just grow something or use the link in the show notes. So like I mentioned, cabbage is a cool season crop. Now the good news is that it can grow just about anywhere from USDA hardiness zones one all the way through to 11. It requires full sun and is relatively low maintenance once you get it going and when you understand its growing requirements. Cabbage does best when grown in well-drained, fertile soil with a pH between 6.0 and 6.8. Cabbage can be a heavy feeder, and the nutrient balance dance can be sort of a tough one. I've made the mistake before of overfeeding, and I've also underfed, and in both cases, my cabbages didn't form their heads. It's not super tricky if you're paying attention, and really, the more you amend your soil and get it really healthy and fertile, the less likely you are to have problems. The times I've had problems has been when I've been trying to grow cabbage in a new garden plot in an area that really hadn't been amended properly, and I was relying on organic fertilizers to do the job for me, and the results just weren't great. So good soil fertility makes cabbage much more of a no-brainer for sure, and more on that in a minute. Cabbage plants are generally started indoors or purchased as plant starts from a nursery before being transplanted outside, although you can sow seed directly in the ground. I don't recommend this if you have any problems with pests like cabbage worms or armyworms, unless you can really protect those little plants as they're popping up because it only takes one worm to destroy multiple sprouts. Plus, deer and bunnies and other critters enjoy cabbage seedlings too. So starting your seeds indoors or buying plant starts really is your safest bet. Now, if you're starting indoors, Start them about four to six weeks before you plan to set them out, regardless of whether it's spring or fall. For spring, you'll want to plan to, to set them outside about two to four weeks before your last expected frost in order for them to have a long enough cool part of the season to get to maturity before the summer heat starts moving in. Now, of course, you can shorten this a little bit um, if you live in a climate that has longer, cooler weather in the spring. Now, for fall... Plan to set them out about six to eight weeks before your first expected frost. You'll need this longer time for them to get good growth when the number of daylight hours is beginning to fade. Now, when starting your own seeds, plant cabbage seeds about a half an inch deep in their containers and keep the soil temperature anywhere from 68 Fahrenheit to 85 Fahrenheit. This is between 20 and 30 Celsius. Brassicas aren't quite as picky about soil temperature for germination as some other crops. 
The seedlings will typically emerge in about four days to about a week after planting them. And I always recommend watering the seedlings from the bottom if you can manage it. This will greatly decrease the possibility of damping off disease, which will kill your little seedlings before they get a chance to do anything for you. Now, wait until your plants are about three to four inches tall and have some true leaves on them before you begin to harden them off outside. Spend about a week slowly letting them adjust to the outside temperatures before transplanting them into the garden. Now, depending on the size of the cultivar you've chosen, you can plant your cabbages as close as eight inches together for mini cabbages or as far apart as 24 inches for really large varieties. Just remember, if you plant larger varieties too closely together, you'll limit the resources available to each plant, specifically the amount of light they receive. And this can not only increase the time it takes to reach maturity, but also invite in disease. So follow the recommendations for the particular variety you're growing. If you do decide to sow the seeds directly into the garden, plant them in the same manner, about a half inch below the soil surface, and plant like five or six seeds per foot. Once they sprout and get to be about four inches tall, then go ahead and thin them down to the correct spacing for your particular variety. In both instances, mulch is going to be your friend when planting cabbage. It will help to retain moisture and reduce the possibility of cracking the heads, which can happen when they've been dry for a really um, significant period of time and then suddenly take up a bunch of water. It's similar to what happens with tomatoes. You'll get a big crack across the exterior of your cabbage. Mulch will also help keep the soil cool, which keeps the plant roots cool, which is important for cabbage. So choosing the cooling type mulches like loose straw or hay and not the ones that attract the heat like black plastic or colored wood chips is important here. Now cabbage grows best at temperatures between 39 Fahrenheit and 75 Fahrenheit or between 4 and 24 Celsius. Yeah, that seems like a generous temperature range and it is, but be aware that extended periods of time with temperatures higher or lower than this may result in premature bolting. Now, this happens in my experience much more with high temperatures in the spring and with low temperatures in the fall. And that's because the bolting that's induced by periods of low temperatures only happens if the plant is past the juvenile period. So that transition from a juvenile to adult stage happens when the stem diameter of your cabbage is about a quarter of an inch across or about six millimeters. So this is why you can plant cabbage super early during the coldest part of the spring and why the timing of planting cabbage in the fall is so much earlier than you would think it should be. If the plant is exposed to an extended period of cold, and then the temperatures warm back up again, it may try to send up a flower stalk rather than continuing to form a head. So you want it planted early enough in the spring that the warmer temperatures don't cause it to bolt, and early enough in the fall that it's mostly mature before your extended cold snaps hit. It's a little bit of a dance no matter what season you're planting in, but I find that gardeners really do seem to wait a little too late in both seasons to plant their brassicas, myself included. The reality of this is usually that the cabbage won't form its head if it's exposed to these other than ideal temperatures for an extended period of time. You can still eat them, unlike if broccoli or cauliflower bolts, and we'll have more on that in the harvesting section. So back to, back to the plant nutrition. 
If you need to feed your cabbage plants and your soil, you'll want to start with a slow-release fertilizer that's higher in nitrogen about two to three weeks after transplanting. They do need this nitrogen boost early on, but just don't overdo it, which I have done. (laughs) Um, This can cause too much leaf growth and, again, not allow the heads to form. So after that initial application, if your soil fertility is still inadequate, just use a well-balanced fertilizer like a 10-10-10 every few weeks until the heads begin to form. And then stop adding any nutrients at that point and just let it do its thing. Too many nutrients at this stage can cause the heads to be soft or cause such fast growth that the heads will crack. And you'll see the heads starting to form when the centermost leaves begin curling in towards each other. So at this point, stop feeding those plants. So can you grow cabbages in containers? Absolutely. You just need a big enough container or the proper number of containers to grow the amount of cabbage you want. This is where those mini cabbage varieties really come in handy. You can get a few more cabbages per square foot in a raised bed and can fit them better into pots and planters. Just be sure you're not spacing them too closely together or you risk inviting in diseases. You will absolutely need to feed your container cabbages more so than some other container crops. They are heavy feeders and need a good, balanced, preferably slow-release fertilizer. The same principles apply here as to in-ground cultivation. Initially, a little boost of nitrogen, then a balanced fertilizer thereafter. You may find, though, because you'll need to water pots more frequently than raised beds or in-ground plants, that you might need to stick to a weekly or every other week feeding schedule. Just keep an eye out for signs that the plants are low on nutrients and increase the feeding frequency is necessary. But you'll still want to cease feeding once the heads begin to form. You've heard me talk about First Saturday Lime, the environmentally friendly alternative to pesticides that we use on our farm. We use it everywhere, in the gardens, in the chicken coops, in the pig pastures, and around the outside of our home. First Saturday Lime created a non-caustic formula that is tough on bugs, but totally safe for humans and pets. And now, as a listener of the Just Grow Something podcast, First Saturday Lime can be your favorite natural pest control, too. You can save 20% off your first order by using the code JUSTGROW at checkout at firstsaturdaylime.com. It's a super strong formula derived from eco-friendly products, and it's so effective, I have a 20-pound bag delivered every month to use on the first Saturday. Go to firstsaturdaylime.com and use code JUSTGROW for 20% off your first order. So let's talk about cabbage pests. Oh, the pests that plague cabbages. It seems like everything wants to eat the seedlings and then everything wants to destroy the leaves. It depends on the the region you're in, obviously, but the, the most common cabbage pests are aphids, leaf miners, all manner of caterpillars from cabbage worms and cabbage loopers to diamondback, moth larvae, and army worms. Um, flea beetles, harlequin bugs, and other stink bugs, and thrips. Now, the first line of defense in all these cases is row covers. Immediately after transplanting your cabbage, put a layer of row cover over the top. Secure the sides as tightly to the ground as you can, and only remove it to weed, water, or harvest. Seriously, you can do the same thing in containers as well, just securing it around your your pots or over top of your raised beds. 
the moths that lay the eggs for all these caterpillars, the flea beetles, the stink bugs, the aphids, and the leaf miners, and the thrips can all be controlled with just row cover. So find the lightest weight one that you can so it keeps the pests out but doesn't trap the heat in. Any online greenhouse supplier or a major seed supplier will have it. And sometimes local nurseries will care, uh, carry small amounts of it too. I have found this to be the absolute best defense in cabbage and all my brassicas for pests. Now, if your row cover isn't secure enough, these buggers can get in, and they can take the opportunity while you're working in the cabbage bed to come on in uninvited. So what's the next prevention? For aphids and leaf miners, the best defense is actually to attract and keep beneficial insects that prey on these pests, like ladybugs, lacewings, uh, shoulder, shoulder, <laughs> soldier beetles, um, and damselbugs. In most instances, if you have a healthy plant, an aphid infestation won't knock them down too badly and the leaf miners likely won't take over. Um, in, in many instances, a good spraying with a hose will knock the aphids out of commission. And if you find the leaf miners are causing significant damage, an insecticidal soap or a neem oil spray can be effective when properly applied. For the caterpillars, Bt, the Bacillus thuringiensis, um, has been shown to be pretty effective, but it does take some time to work and it needs to be ingested by the caterpillars. So be prepared that damage may continue until the population is knocked down. Handpicking is an option if you don't have a large number of plants, but it gets more difficult as the cabbage begins to form a head. And this is a critical time, too, that you want to avoid having caterpillars on the foliage because then they end up inside the head. And that's a nasty surprise when you slice open your cabbage for coleslaw. So be vigilant there. And lastly, there are some organic insecticide sprays that are effective on the caterpillars as well. Just be sure to follow the instructions on the label because the label is the law. Now for flea beetles, we use first Saturday lime and that seems to do the trick, but you need to catch them before they've done extensive damage. So check on your plants frequently for flea beetle damage, especially in the fall. You'll notice tiny little holes in the leaves and likely won't even see the culprit and that's a good sign of flea beetles. As for the harlequin bugs and the other stink bugs, mm, good luck. Those are really a hard one to manage. You can try insecticidal spray, but you'll really need to apply it like every two to three days for around two weeks in order to disrupt the life cycle and rid yourself of them. Now, this is problematic to me because you'll also be affecting beneficial insects at the same time, and that's a lot of spraying in the garden. Like the caterpillars, you can effectively handpick harlequin bugs and their cousins. Just don't squish them. They're called stink bugs for a reason. <laughs> Just flick them into a bucket of soapy water and remove them from the garden area. Now, for all of these pests, I can also recommend trap cropping. So plant a sacrificial crop of some other type of brassica to draw them elsewhere. We use dinosaur or lacinato kale. Leave the trap crop uncovered while you cover your cabbage. In all likelihood, the undesirable bugs will be attracted to the trap crop, where you can destroy them, either through mechanical removal or by your chosen spray or by flame, uh, keeping them away from your cabbage. Now, nothing is perfect, but a combination of any of the techniques I mentioned should help keep the majority of the pests off your cabbage long enough to get them harvested. So what about diseases in cabbage? 
Well, just like all brassicas, there are lots of different diseases that could plague cabbage, and the majority of them can be prevented through proper crop rotation. So don't plant anything in the brassica family in the same place for at least three years before or after you plant your cabbage. Now, this doesn't mean that some fungal or bacterial pathogen won't make its way into your garden to attack your cabbage, but the chances are much less likely if you're rotating your crops. And if you have a very small garden space and not too many areas to rotate through, either take a year off from growing any brassicas if you need to, or utilize pots that can have the soil changed out and the container sterilized. In most instances, the biggest problem you'll face with cabbage will be good old downy mildew or powdery mildew. The more humid your area is, the more likely that these fungal diseases will be to rear their ugly heads. Now, both downy mildew and powdery mildew affect the leaves of the cabbage, but downy mildew develops a fungal layer on the underside of the leaf that is accompanied by leaf spots on the top of the leaf. Powdery mildew causes white powdery fungal growth, usually on the tops of the leaf without any leaf spotting. Now, you can plant disease-resistant varieties of cabbage for both of these, and if we end up with a case of either, I use first Saturday lime to alter the pH of the leaf surface and to break up the fungal spores to make it less likely to survive long enough to spread. Now, you may have to do multiple applications to keep it at bay, but it can be effective. You may also be able to find an organic fungicide to use, but as far as I'm concerned, crop rotation and resistant cultivars are your friends here. So once we've gotten past the pests and diseases, it's time to harvest our cabbage. Early varieties of cabbage can take about 60 to 70 days from planting to reach maturity, and late varieties can take about 120 days. Cabbages are mature when they are firm and solid to the touch, and they're harvested by cutting the stalk just below the bottom leaves with a knife or some other sharp blade. And then you just trim the outer leaves and remove any diseased or damaged or necrotic leaves. So basically, you want to watch your cabbage and do a pressure test to see if it's ready. Feel the head to see if it's solid. Look at the remaining outer leaves that haven't wrapped up. Are they healthy looking or are they a bit yellowed or damaged? If the head feels solid and those remaining leaves don't look all that great, chances are your cabbage is ready. If you wait too long to harvest, you can also end up with split heads because the inner leaves and stem are going to continue to grow as the days go on. You can also harvest cabbage earlier, too, if you don't need huge heads. If the center feels solid and it's the size that you want, basically anytime it's larger than a softball, then just cut that sucker. The bonus to this is that if you leave some of those remaining leaves on the plant for some photosynthesis, you'll likely get some little mini heads that form from the stalk if there's some time left in your season. They look sort of like big Brussels sprouts and they can be treated the same way. Now, what if your cabbage never formed a head? I know all too well that this can happen, whether it's due to nutrition issues or weather issues. In either case, you can absolutely still use those leaves. You won't have a head to sort of shred up for coleslaw, but you can harvest those large intact leaves and use them for cabbage rolls or julienne them for your slaw. They will work up just the same way as a head of cabbage will. You just need to be a little bit more creative. This is a solution also if you see that you are being inundated with caterpillars or flea beetles and want to salvage some of your crop. 
Start picking the large leaves that are still intact and mostly unaffected by the pests and store them in your crisper drawer until you have enough for your recipe. It's not ideal for sure, but it's a way to get something for all the work you put into your cabbage crop. The good news about cabbage is it stores really well through the cold months. Now, if you planted a slow-growing variety toward the end of the season, this is the time when you may be able to just leave it in the garden late into the fall and the early winter as your form of storage. Once the daylight hours begin to wane, the growth of the cabbage will slow. If it's not quite to maturity yet, you'll have less of a chance of it cracking. So just be sure to cover it with frost cloth or sheets or whatever you use for frost protection when the really cold nights begin to hit and allow it to finish out its growth right up until the Persephone period when growth will basically all but stop. At that point, so long as you're not staying below freezing for extended periods of time, your cabbage will generally be fine in the garden until you're ready for it. Otherwise, once you've harvested your cabbage, only remove the damaged or diseased leaves, but do not otherwise cut or rinse it other than to remove excessive amounts of dirt. Introducing water or air at this point can cause it to respire faster and deteriorate more quickly. Just put it in a plastic bag in your crisper drawer of your fridge and it will keep for up to two months with very little loss of quality. The colder the better in order to preserve the nutrients. Now if you have a big harvest and you need a longer term way to store it, you do have options. You can freeze cabbage to preserve it for longer. Just wash it really well, cut it into wedges, and then blanch those wedges by dunking them into simmering water for about 60 to 90 seconds and then plunging it into ice water to stop the cooking and then pat them dry. This will help keep the color and the texture intact. Now, if you're not concerned with that, you can just cut and freeze without the blanching. In either case, Lay the wedges in a single layer on a baking sheet and freeze them, then transfer them to a freezer-safe bag. Freezing them on the tray first means you can remove one wedge at a time from the bag in the freezer without them all sticking together. They'll keep in the freezer like this for about nine months without too much of a loss of quality. Of course, you can always ferment your cabbage in any number of ways through sauerkraut or other fermentation recipes. But the old school way to store fresh cabbage is in a root cellar. And really, you want a place that's cool but humid. So 32 to 40 degrees Fahrenheit or 0 to 4 Celsius and about 95% relative humidity is ideal or as close as you can get to that. Now, if you're going to store cabbage in a root cellar, you actually want to pull the whole plant when you harvest, roots and all. Um, not cutting the head off leaves one less place for pathogens to make their way in during storage and cause the early rotting of your cabbage. So just pull the whole plant, knock off the dirt, and place the heads in rows on shelves several inches apart. Or you can hang the cabbages head down by wrapping twine around the stock and hanging them from the ceiling. You can also store them on the floor of the root cellar wrapped in several layers of newspaper. Now, there's one more way you can store cabbage in the garden, and this is in a garden pit. Now, to create a cabbage storage pit in the garden, you dig a hole about two to two and a half feet deep, and you line it with a heavy layer of straw for insulation. Store the cabbages root side up, heads down, and then cover them with more straw and like a burlap sack or a tarp at the top, so you can get into the pit once the snow covers it, if you're in a snowy area, or the soil freezes. 
So during the winter, when you need a cabbage head, open the storage, take a head out, and then repack it with straw and cover. Now, this is obviously a truly old school way to do this and is only good in areas where you actually get freezing temperatures during the winter and possible snow cover. And most people will not store their cabbages this way. But it is an effective homesteading trick when you only have so much room in the root cellar and you live in a cooler northern climate. So that's it for cabbage. A lot of this information also applies to just about every other member of the brassica family. So save some of these tips to apply to your kale, collards, cauliflower, and the other coal crops. They're all good crops for growing in both the spring and the fall. Thanks for listening today. If you want to talk more about cabbage or any other gardening topic, jump on over to Facebook and join the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. It's a great place to connect with me and other gardeners and get help with all kinds of stuff in the garden. The link to that will be in the show notes. I'll be back again on Friday for another Focal Point Friday episode. In the meantime, have a great week in the garden. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.